Hello and welcome back to Up The Arts Podcast, the only space out there that's offering a dedicated podcast to discuss everything that's fabulous about our LGBT arts and culture scene. Now, it's over halfway through February. I hope you've been enjoying everything that's been on offer across the country as part of LGBT History Month. But there are still plenty of other dates in the diary, taking you right to the end of March. So go to their website if you're interested in doing that. But today I am speaking to the founder of LGBT History Month and asking Sue Sanders, today, is it still relevant? Is there anything we can learn from it? And does it have a place? We are marking a very important month in the LGBT year. It is LGBT History Month every February. So you were instrumental in creating that. What's your involvement these days? Well, um, I was instrumental in creating it. It was Everybody thought I was mad. But my co-chair of Schools Out at that point, Paul Patrick, and I were both teachers. And we had seen the absolute devastation that Section 28 had caused in schools and how so many people went back in the closet, um, didn't do the work, although technically they could have. I mean, that's the irony is the Local Authority Act didn't actually affect schools, but so many schools thought it did, so 15 years of horrendousment. So 2003, end of Section 28, and new legislation coming in to start protecting LGBT people within employment, so a really important year. So we thought, all right, Black History Month is very powerful in schools, although worryingly they often do more American black history than British. But it's a model which teachers are familiar with. So if we invented LGBT History Month, maybe that could be a really useful tool. And the intention was to really do something to celebrate. We'd had 15 years of us being victims. So we really wanted to you know, celebrate all the amazing achievements of LGBT plus people. The intention was to give the month to people, build some resources on our website, but being a voluntary organization, you know, we can only do so much. But basically, make the space for people to do their own thing. And we launched it late in 2004, for various reasons, about sort of late November, we launched it at the Tate uh, Modern. We had three trans people there, and I think that's really important. You know, back then we were, st- we were very aware of how important it was to get the trans involved. And I thought, well, if we get 10 events for the first year, I'll be pleased. We had over 100. So people have, over the years, grabbed it. It's so exciting watching the calendar and watching the various things that people come up with, some really imaginative, exciting stuff. So last year, Swindon put rainbow lights around one of their roundabouts. And back in the early days, were these events that were happening anyway? Or was your website and the creation of the LGBT History Month the catalyst for things happening? It it was the catalyst. It wasn't happening. No, I mean, that was the whole point. That was the problem. It wasn't happening. There wasn't a space for it. So the fact that we created the month then gave people the space and and the the potential to use that space and grab it. And people did, which was wonderful, and they continue to do so. But... One of the things that that was very interesting was when we had the 50th anniversary of the partial decriminalization of homosexuality, a lot of museums and galleries began to do, you know, did exhibitions and things. But what was interesting was they all said they could not have been as effective and and, and as as wide and as 
powerful exhibitions if it hadn't been for the work from, of LGBT History Month. So it has been totally instrumental in enabling people to gather information, get the confidence, and get out there and do it. So, you know, I'm incredibly chuffed and very moved every year when I start looking at what's happening. I'm shocked that it's only been going 17 years because I think, perhaps because I live in a bit of a bubble in London, that 17 years ago there wasn't necessarily a problem for LGBT people living in the country, but once you step outside London, it just shows you back well, then there was still so much discrimination and, and um, under-representation. In, in London, it was pretty bad. Really? Yeah. Oh, yes. I mean, I think... I mean, it, it, it's, it's 15 years old, um, LGBT History Month now, because our first one was 2005. If you went to a museum or if you went to the Tate or if you went to the library and asked to see or looked for LGBT pictures, archives, whatever, you wouldn't find them. They just weren't doing it. I mean, occasionally, bless their hearts, libraries would have a little, you know, corner where they might put a few things yeah. up. But Section 28 had really crushed a lot. So it was really crucial that we gave people a space and an opportunity to actually start doing it. So, I mean, I was living in London at the time, and I wasn't seeing that much. Certainly, as soon as you start going outside London, it becomes worse. And if you come out, go into the rural areas, it becomes even worse. So, you know, it, it, it is layered, if you like. But one of the things that we began to look at after 10 years of LGBT History Month, Dr. Jeff Evans, one of the members of the committee, came up to me and said, Sue, we've had 10 years of LGBT History Month. It's fabulous. We're having all sorts of weird and wonderful stuff happening in the month, but we're not getting much history which was perfectly true. Mm. The academic world was not really doing much on LGBT. I mean, occasionally, you know, there were the odd, odd people who were doing research, but there was no LGBT courses. And women's courses weren't very good around lesbian stuff, or bi or trans. So he had played around with a model, which we then utilised, and we had an event in Manchester where we had an academic day where a few academics who were doing some work and they were from America, from Australia, from Europe and, and the UK, spent an afternoon sharing ideas and we pulled together a few presentations that we put on at the Central Library in Manchester and at the People's History Museum. We also worked with Stephen Hornby, who's a brilliant theatre director and writer, and he came up with the most extraordinarily wonderful three-part theatre presentation looking at an event that had happened in just outside Manchester of same-sex dancing. So it was almost like our Stonewall, but it didn't have a happy ending. So there was a same-sex ball, guys dancing with guys, some of them in drag, police raiding them, arresting them, taking them to court, and some of them being sent to prison. And it was a three-part play. So the first play was in the evening with a, sort of the cabaret and the dancing in one of the gay bars on Canal Street, the second half, which was looking at the whole machinations of the politics of the guy, who, the police officer who was going to raid the, the, the club and linking up with the press and all those political machinations. And then the third part was the actual court case, which was in the People's History Museum. And we have every year, when we've done out in the past, commissioned original theatre. Pieces of LGBT history which had been forgotten, hidden, whatever, which Stephen then brings to life in theatre. And last year, one of our faces, because every year we have a theme, and last year Walt Whitman was, was one of our faces, and he did a play about Walt Whitman. 
this year our theme is actually poetry, prose, and plays. Right. So we have four faces who rep- so we have an LG and a B and a T who represent the theme. So our lesbian is Lorraine Hansbury, amazing black woman, who has been straightwashed. It's really interesting. She was the first black woman for, to have a play on Broadway. She was married, but she had relationships with women, and it wasn't until people got into her archives and got to the hidden box to discover all the letters with, that, that proved that she had relationships with women. And she wrote, um, her husband wrote a play which was full of all her writings called Young, Gifted and Black, which, of course, Nina Simone sings. So um, our gay is E.M. Forster, oodles of stuff, of course, around him. Our bi is Shakespeare, and I was in a school the other day and telling the children the, the stories about the four places, and they were absolutely gobsmacked. They had no idea. So that their teachers hadn't shared with them that reality. And I think, and it, and it just, you know, here we are in, in, in 2020 and they're not. And a part of the whole reason that I set up LGBT History Month was because schools were lying mm. by omission. I, I mean, as a kid, I did Virginia Woolf, Gerald Manley Hopkins, and Shakespeare. And at no point did anybody tell me that those people were bisexual. And it would have made a phenomenal difference to my life had I known that. So our bi is, is, is Shakespeare, and then our trans is Dawn Langley Simmons, which nobody has heard of, but she is the most fascinating woman. She had, has links with Vita Sackville West, went to the States, and was one of the first, if not the first, to have an interracial marriage in, I think, Virginia. I can't remember. You need right, to look it up. Uh-huh. So all this information is on this amazing website. So there's the Outing the Past website, which you can go to to find out all about the history festivals. There's the LGBT History Month website, and then we have another website called The Classroom, which has over 80 lesson plans that usualize LGBT concepts and ideas and people across the curriculum for all ages. And I coined this word usualize because I really don't think we can use normal. It's too problematic. Go back to the plays there. I think, again, once you step out of the urban areas, it's very difficult to see LGBT people represented on the stage. Is there ever a plan or an intention to tour with the, the plays that are created every year? I would love to. Mm. I mean, what you have to remember is that we have no core funding whatsoever. Yeah. So all of us who do all this work do it for nothing. We get bits and pieces of funding, so Stephen has managed to get Arts Council funding for most of the plays he's done. We're looking at potentially doing some sort of filming of them He's doing his PhD at the moment, so once he's finished that, maybe we can sit down and look at how we can make them more available. Because you're absolutely right. I mean, it's very difficult for people, you know, geographically. And, of course, once something goes on the web, it means then people in countries around the world who have less access to LGBT stuff can then get it. I mean, when we look at who accesses our websites, it is totally international Mm -hmm. and, and from places where being LGBT is illegal. Well, I was going to ask you that. I mean, with the advances that have been made today domestically, although we're still we're more divided, in some, some might say, than, than ever before, is it as relevant to look back with the LGBT History Month? How relevant do you think it is today compared to 15 years ago? I think it's totally relevant. If you look at the figures of attempted suicide of youth, they're still very high. If you look at the figures of LGBT homeless people, young homeless people, it's incredibly high. If you look at the mental health situations of our young LGBT people, it's very high. I was at a a conference of 350 LGBT teachers 
the number of those teachers who are actually out and proud to their students was very low. Really? So we're not, we haven't solved the problem. And for me, the history is crucial because if, if we don't know there have been lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans plus people since, you know, since we came down from the trees, it's not only the fact that, you know, as you begin to think about your sexual orientation, do you think initially you're the only one, and yes, the internet will provide that, which it didn't before, mm. no, you're not. But if you haven't got that concept of a heritage, of a past, and actually be able to learn about how people in the past found ways to do that in very hostile places and very difficult places, discovering that amazing heritage is, is crucial for a young person as they're beginning to come to terms with who they are. So I think, you know, if, if, if we don't know our history, we are doomed to repeat it. And I think, particularly now, and I mean, I can remember Peter Tatchell and I have been saying for some 10 years, we cannot assume that all things will move forward profoundly well. There'll be, you know, there'll be moments of, of stepping back. Section 28 popped out of, you know, at a time when we were suffering from AIDS, for heaven's sake. Mm. You know, if you were around in the 30s in Germany, you would have thought life was a ball and everything was going to fine. And then suddenly the Nazis walked in and, you know, all hell broke loose. We are now dealing with a very, very right-wing government, both here and in the States and in certain European places. So if we're not enabling people to recognize our heritage, be able to recognize how we have dealt with attacks on us before, then we're disenabling us to live effective lives. And of course in Northern Ireland, I mean, marriage, gay marriage there is only there by virtue that there was no government in Stormont at the time. That's Had right. there been, the DUP probably would not, or would not have passed that and that would still be illegal in Northern Ireland, which exactly. is scary. Yes, very. And I've just come back from Northern Ireland. And how was that? Have... It was amazing. I mean, what we did was, and it's, you can see the photographs on the website and on the Outing the Past website, we launched the very first history exhibition of LGBT in Northern Ireland in the Museum of Free Derry on their weekend when they're celebrating, or marking rather, Bloody Sunday. Mm. So it was incredibly moving. And their recognition that the museum is a museum that cares about and wants to work around people's human rights, to, you know, to make sure that we all have human rights. So made links between what was happening to them on Bloody Sunday and what's happening to LGBT people. And it was really interesting at the launch how the trustee of the Museum of Free Dairy was saying, we wanted to set up the museum because we wanted to be in control of our story. We wanted people to know what had happened on Bloody Sunday and we wanted to tell it. We did not want anybody else to tell it because it's our story we want to be able to tell it. And I think that rang such powerful bells with me of the recognition that you know, we need to tell our story. The story about Lorraine Hansberry is really interesting. She was pinkwashed. Mm. You know, lots of people get pinkwashed. Lots of people, you know, who are queer are disenabled to be out and proud. And they are hidden. So it is up to us to grab the stories and to tell them and to make sure they get out there. So, I mean, there's a brilliant, wonderful video done by a group of youngsters in Norfolk in the Ancient House Museum on the website, which tells you how to queer a museum. I mean, it's, it's just beautiful. These youngsters have done this. With They've been working with various people who've been curating in museums and who've been working to, to help museums, you know, queer their archives and queer their presentations. And they've produced this wonderful 20-minute video. So... 
I've put it out everywhere and, you know, have a look at it. It's absolutely mm. stunning to get you to recognize that there are things sitting on your walls and in your archives which you just haven't clocked are part of the LGBT story, which need to be there. Yes, I, I loved going through the calendar last night on the LGBT History Month website. And, you know, there's little towns, little villages, museums, castles, all taken ownership of their gay past. Exactly. And that wouldn't have happened for Hillsborough in Northern Ireland. They have a gay day. Colchester Castle, there's tours of it. I'm hoping it's an LGBT day or LGBT plus day, not gay, because yeah. gay is not inclusive. So I'm passionate about being LGBT plus. Fantastic. Well, the, I mean, it's whatever their story is, isn't it, for those particular parts of, yeah. of the time. And, but in, in the past, those would have been hidden. Totally. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I think the big job now is that when you do look at a lot of the stuff, it is still very white and still very male. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done to get the lesbian and bi and trans in there and lesbian and, and, and also all ethnicities and disability. I mean, it's interesting how the assumption is that we're all able-bodied and we're all young. Well, here I am about to be 73 next month um, and there's a lot older ones around. So, you know, we need that diversity of our community being represented and that's still an uphill job. Are you getting a sense that young people are that passionate, are still as passionate as you were when you were younger uh, for these causes? Or is, who's, who's taking out the baton, if you like? Good question. We've got a couple of youngsters working with us. I'm desperate to find more. Our committee is, is getting on and I need some fresh blood. So if there's anybody listening who would like to link up with us, I'd be thrilled to talk to you. I've certainly come across some very passionate young LGBT plus people who are really very busy, um, too busy to join us because they're too busy trying to get stuff done. Within universities, within politics, they're out there. But I think it's, it's my guess is, as, as the iron fist becomes stronger with, with this government and with Trump, so the youngsters will begin to realise how much more they have to fight. And I think that, you know, everybody has been lulled into perhaps a, a sense of security, thinking, oh, everything's sorted. But if you, you know, once you lift the rock, as I say, the stats around what's happening in schools still, the level of bullying is still very high, the level of homophobic language is still very high. And, of course, we have seen since the referendum on Brexit a very serious increase on homophobic crime and Islamic crime, and the police aren't dealing with it effectively. I mean, the level of, of, of de uh, sanctioned detections, of them actually being able to deal, you know, prosecute or find the person or whatever, is low. Now, that might be because the victims have wanted to report it, but necessarily don't want to go any further. But clearly, we know the lack of resources the police have had have made it very difficult for them to follow up. So hate crime has gone up both on the internet and on the streets. And we've seen some particularly shocking ones recently. Mm. So there is no reason to assume that the job is done. We have still a lot to do. Um, and I think that, that for me, the educating out prejudice is, is, is an absolutely crucial part of the work that we do in, in, in LGBT History Month, in making us visible, in making us usual, and enabling people to recognize that you know, we're here, we're queer, and we have been for an inordinately long time. And a lot of the things which you have taken for granted, both within science, within English, within theater, literature, all sorts of areas, we are dependent upon work that has been done by LGBT plus people. You said the website there has got hundreds of different dates on it. For February, for the month of February, 
what else would you like to see? Is there something that that's lacking that we just need to, to do maybe for next year in order to get that message out there more? The two big areas are schools. I mean, I, w- I would love to get to a point when every school was celebrating LGBT History Month and, and doing something effective with it. There are schools who are doing brilliant things and there are other schools who just don't won't touch it. And I think the other big thing is the diversity, is actually enabling, you know, I would love to be looking at the calendar and seeing a much more diverse range of events which was much more inclusive of the diversity of our community. And that's going to take time. I mean, Lady Phil set up Black Pride, I think, probably five, six years ago now. We're always there every year supporting it. Lady Phil is a patron of LGBT History Month. We work a lot together. Gay Wise, which is a really brilliant organisation that, that works on, on Asian LGBT, we work together with them. But I think more work needs to be done. And, of course, the, the big problem that we're all facing at the moment is the prejudice against trans people. Yes. We have an article in our bulletin from our trans member of the committee saying how important um, LGBT History Month and Schools Out is to her and talking a bit about some of the battles that she has to fight and the work that she does in schools, which is you know, another really you know, crucial area. Well, the best of luck with it. Remind people where they can go then for information if they're interested in attending something or finding out if there's something in their town or village or even county. So the two main websites are www.lgbthistorymonth.org.uk. There's lots of news on there, the calendar's on there, and where it says categories, if you click on that, you'll then see regions. So if you're in east, the southeast or southwest, you can see specifically what's on there. But I would urge you to look at them all because it will give you a real inspiration. And then Out in the Past, www.outinthepast.com, is specifically about our history festivals. They're on the calendar for on LGBT History Month, but you get more detailed information about the programmes. And as I say, there are 22 in England, six on the island of Ireland, and one in New York and one in Boston. <laughs> and it is probably worth just reminding people that the History Month is not just about looking back. I'm assuming you're wanting younger people to log on as much as older people to learn. Absolutely. It, I mean, the, the point about History Month is that it's... The, the events that people choose to put on are very, very varied, from drag shows to quizzes to dances to theatre, not specifically history. I mean, some of them are. I mean, there's a great one which looks like there's a drag queen dressed up as a raven telling the story of the LGBT things happening in the Tower of London. Um, the variety is phenomenal. It's not just history, whereas outing the past is specifically history. So if you're looking for history, look at the outing the past stuff. If you're looking for anything which is celebrating the existence of the diversity of LGBT plus people, the calendar on the LGBT History Month website is your place to go. Superb. Well, there's no doubt that Sue Sanders is an absolute legend with a wealth of knowledge and experience So we thank her for bringing us the LGBT History Month and finding it all those years ago. The website's fantastic. It's a real source of things to do across the whole of the country and indeed in Northern Ireland and in the Republic of Ireland as well. There's events happening all over the place throughout February and in fact into March as well, particularly 
in Ireland. So go to lgbthistorymonth.org for that. Please join us throughout the week and keep up to date with what we're doing on our Twitter account, which is Up The Arts Show. Or you can drop me an email with your ideas for future programmes. You can do that by emailing me at upthearts.show at outlook.com. As always, please download the podcast and tell your friends and family to do the same. I hope you're enjoying the programmes and the variety that we're bringing you. Up the Arts podcast is all one word when you are searching your podcast app. So whether it's in Spotify, iTunes, wherever you go, it's Up the Arts podcast. Until the next time we speak, have a good time and stay safe.